Well, hey, welcome to episode number nine of I Kissed Alcohol Goodbye. I'm your host, Dana Kroll, coming to you from live for us anyway, from Central Ohio. We are recording this on Zoom because my new setup on the other thing that worked brilliantly uh, on episode seven decided to shit the bed because I showed up. So I am super excited, though, to spend the next hour or so or however long we chat with Travis Church, who's out in McConnellsville, Ohio, which is about an hour east of here in the Columbus area. And full disclosure, this fine fellow right here is my brother-in-law, and um, he was enthusiastic when I told him about the podcast last month. And he said, hey, if you ever want to, you know, need a guest, you know, I'll come on. I was like, hell yeah, you can come on, whatever, because Travis and I, you know, we've, we've known each other for how long now? Like 20 years? 20 years, yeah. I think I, I, yeah, I think Addie and I started dating 20 years ago. God, we're friggin' old. So, um, but Travis is going to tell us um, about, he, he would not necessarily consider himself having an alcohol addiction issue, but we're going to talk about alcohol in this episode as kind of like a gateway drug is, is what I want to like introduce as part of the conversation, because I think we had uh, talked a little bit about that the other day, but before I talk too long, which is what I tend to do at the beginning of episodes, I'm just going to pitch it to you, bro. Uh, tell everybody about yourself. Tell us um, your history with addiction, and then we'll we'll get into alcohol at however it intersects in the story. But really, um, I just I, I you know you're my brother, man. I love you. I'm just excited to have you on the show. I love thanks you for, too, bro. Thanks for being here, man. So take it you're away. Welcome dude. and thank you for having me. And I love you too. And um. You know, I'm super excited and proud of you for doing this. You know, um, I think as you and I have talked about, you know, as you get a little bit older, you need, you know, you need these hobbies. You need things to keep yourself busy. I think that's where I know for myself, I would say that my problems with drugs and alcohol oftentimes just stem from boredom, boredom, you know, <laughs> um, you know, there's a, there's a great quote or line and it's said a lot of different ways, but it's like, you know, idle hands are the devil's playground. And then they they really are, man. I mean, if you don't have, you know, some type of routine or things to keep you going in life and, and, you know, uh, um, tasks that you need to, you know, check off from day to day and things like that. And, and, you know, like I said, the, the boredom is where I think a lot of people, begin to stray towards drugs and alcohol yeah. um because you've got think, a lot of friends or you have or have had a lot of friends who struggle with alcohol issues right oh man i mean yeah i couldn't even begin to tell you dana i mean the number of kids that aren't here anymore kids that have died under the age of 30 you know from drugs and alcohol whether it was you know crashing from drinking and driving or overdosing or, or, you know, then there's certainly other ways to ruin your life. You know, if, if maybe you were in an accident and you injured somebody else, you know, and then, so how much of your life has now been spent, you know, behind bars or just yeah. all of those different types of things, you know what I mean? And yeah, I mean, uh, in, in short, my experience with alcohol is that it destroys lives. It just does. I mean, but you grew up in a household with, I mean, as far as I know, I don't know that your, your parents, my in-laws have, have ever had a drink. You know? Straight and, as an arrow, bro. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, I know that dad went out while he was in the Navy, you know, mm -hmm. how much he drank and, and, you know, if he ever got 
you know, hammered multiple weekends in a row. I have no idea. You know what I mean? I hope he did, but I, I don't think that he did. I, <laughs> I don't really think don't. he did either. I really don't. <laughs> you know? And then, of course, you know, you know my mother very well. And if she's ever done anything wrong in her life, it would be a shock to me. So Listen, let me tell you about the 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 church parents, because uh, like I, I it, people joke about like having, you know, issues with their in-laws and stuff. And I'm like, oh, my God, I got like the best in-laws in the friggin world. Like your parents are, you know, your dad to me, especially because my dad died a long time ago. Your dad's been a real important father figure for me. And he's so calm and steady and even killed just like Addie. And, you know, like, it's like a yin to my yang. And uh, your family's been such a, such a great blessing to me. And I'm really glad that we've gotten to connect more in these last uh, couple years, it seems like. I mean, life circumstances sort of changed for me. And I, I think my perspectives on some things have changed. Not that we ever disagreed and really didn't get along. It's just, we didn't have a lot to, I don't, I don't know. I think we were just more diplomatic with each other because I, and, and I we think promised we felt we it hard yeah. to relate with one another. Yeah. I think that that's a good but way to put now, it. now for a variety of reasons, being parents, being older, yeah, um, seeing our children age, seeing my parents age your mom and things like that, you know, yeah. It, it brings a whole different perspective. And I mean, that's, I, I know that that's one of the things that really saved me was just kind of a second opportunity in life to know that, I mean, I, I tell people all the time, like all the lessons in life, I, I learned the hard way, you know what well, I mean? Tell us I about that. Tell us about to... where, where the, the um, substances kind of entered your life and how, and like, what was the slow, what was the downward, you know, trend and, and, and then what brought you back out of the valley? Okay, thank you. And, um, you know, in high school, it's just the social aspect of it. You know, most teenagers in the town that I grew up in, you know, they were getting into just regular teenage shit on the weekends. It wasn't anything bad. They weren't out committing crimes or violence or anything. They were trying to get some senior that had an older brother to buy him some beer. Right, That's right. What they were trying to do, you know what I mean? We're just trying the to same way up, and drink our beer. That's it. Same way up in the suburbs in Columbus, Ohio. I mean, it was like, it doesn't matter, southeastern Ohio, small town, bigger city in Columbus. It was all the same for me, too. Well, and 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 so to that, I never, you know, it's it's next to impossible to develop what anybody would describe as a, as a full-blown addiction or alcoholism when you're a teenager and you're trying to hide it from your parents and you can only get four beers with your buddies or you and right. your buddies are splitting 12 beers and you think you're all going to be hammered that's not how it works it's not until you you know you leave the nest and then you're kind of you can make your own decisions yeah that that things start to get rough and then I, I think for some you know it's different for everybody but there's similarities in all stories and I know for me I you know, without having a college degree at the time in the late nineties, I was making a good paycheck without having a college degree. Mm -hmm. Costs were low. I could drink every night if I wanted to. Yeah. yeah. I could. And I mean, I didn't, but I, I probably drank and partied with the people that were coming and going from my apartment and girls and guys and, and, you know, five nights a week, four nights a week, you know, why not? Uh, but it I, didn't, but, but you don't feel like the alcohol, it kind of like sunk its teeth into you and like grabbed you. And, no, and I'll, I'll you tell in. you what, no, I'll tell you what did that to me was pills. Okay. Um, you know, I broke my ankle playing basketball the night that, uh, Holy or Tyson bit Holyfield's ear. <laughs> um, you know, we were all having a, we were all having to get together to watch the fight, you know, and, um, 
we were out playing basketball and I broke my ankle. And uh, so this is like maybe 2002 or 2003. Okay. And, uh, and you would have been 25, 24, 25 yeah, then? Yeah, okay. 23, 24, 25, something like that. Okay. And so prior to that, I would just describe all of my stuff in relations with drugs and alcohol as pretty much only alcohol up until that point. Okay. Um, and just getting into trouble with it, not, not waking up or, 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 you know, getting off work and like, I, I can't wait to have a drink or man, mm-hmm. I can't wait to get home so I can have a drink or, or different things like that. But just more or less like, Fuck it, let's go get drunk. Let's yeah. have a party. Let's, you know, let's, let's do this. Let's do that. Let's call these people. Let's have these people over. Let's go to this yeah. dude's house. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so when the doctor, you know, the the doctor did his job. It wasn't like I don't think he intended to get me addicted to pain pills. I had a broken ankle that he he probably could have done surgery on, but we tried to avoid it, you know. Mm-hmm. And so throughout the course of that, and when my ankle healed and they they stopped prescribing me the pills. I began to get the pills off the streets and I didn't get what it took. I was getting my pills every day. Yeah. Every day. I mean, when I woke up, I mean, that's, that's what you think about. Well, you're in the shower, you, you know, you're okay. taking your morning shit. It's like, how am I getting my pill today? Yeah. How am I getting my pill today? What do I got to do? Do I got to sell something? Do I got to flip something? Do I got to take something to a pawn shop? Can I get this person's getting a script later? And they'll sell me the pills for $2 a piece. So, but, but I know this dude will buy them for $4 a piece. So if I get this dude to buy like six of them, then I get a couple for free and every single day. Yeah. Every single day. So it sounds like what a lot of alcoholic alcoholics do. Sorry. I I know some people don't like that label, whatever people who are addicted to alcohol um, maybe don't have that issue. At least they're, if they're of age, you know, when we were underage, it's like, who can we find that'll buy us some beer? But, right, right, right. you know, once you're an adult, it's like the access isn't the issue, but with the pills it is. And so you had this extra layer of, you know, anxiety, probably anxiety. I, I never really thought about that. Not just the addiction itself, but like the anxiety of like, what if I can't, is oh, that day, right? You're, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because your day isn't, you can't do anything else for your day until you get your drugs. Okay you know whether it was and i mean we joke all the time like uh, we, we we would joke back in the day and there's layers and layers to the pill epidemic in this country whether it was i mean there's layers and layers to all of this stuff sure you know, sure well this was 20 years ago and i'm thinking of like when i was in ranger school and um when i knew i was going to marry your sister is when she <laughs> she she took her final she took her finals early and rode a greyhound bus for a day sitting next to an elvis impersonator to try <laughs> down to the panhandle of florida to visit me at eglin air force base hospital i was like i'm marrying this woman uh because we just i didn't know just, that that's she, awesome it was awesome but i was a hot mess like i was laying in bed and i had had cellulitis in my knees and i had previously had a stress fracture which they just gave me like some naproxen 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 whatever for and you just like limp through that shit but then like i got cellulitis my knees blew up i had to get i mean it looks like i don't know i had a rookie surgeon because it looks like i had a full new replacement or something um and i mean it was my my legs were huge. And, and the reason I mentioned this is because they prescribed me like a, like a fuck ton of like um, Oxycontin or something. Mm-hmm. And I took those back with me to the barracks. And when I like, I, I'm so glad now that I didn't take them because I, I didn't really stay in a lot of pain after the hospital, but I had like a big fucking thing. And this is the army. Like they, you would think they would have like paid attention hey, look, to that. I can you tell know, you right like, now, whatever, whatever you think those things were worth street value that day, 
they are worth at least 15 times today. Oh, I believe it. I believe it. And, you know, I'm just thinking of like what you're describing now back then. You I, And see, I didn't know about that surgery you had and that that was where it kind of led to issues for you. And I mean, it, it speaks to this, you know, epidemic. And you're like, you know, you didn't have a, a predatory doctor or something. You you know, it's not like you was getting kickbacks, but it no, was just... I ended up finding one, <laughs> you know, I mean, but there you go. Was, right. You know, yeah. you know, I found yeah. one that was willing to give out pills. I mean, I didn't need them. You know, I made up a reason, just like the other 15 people that was in the lobby and waiting sure. for the doors to open at 8 a.m. at this pill farm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And of course, that guy's done time since and his doctor's been shut down and all of that stuff. But yeah, um, that's definitely, you know, where it started. And, and what I was getting ready to say is we used to joke that, that Percocet's the breakfast of champions. Yeah. If you had a bunch of laborers and like if, if you ran some kind of farm in Texas and you needed your boys to get their work done today. Feed them all a yeah. pill. I promise you they'll get that work done. They're <laughs> great doing it. They won't bitch. They won't complain. They'll be happy, and they'll show up the next morning because you're going to yeah. give them a pill again before they get to work. Yeah. Um, you know, and we joked about that, too. I mean, we 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 still joke about that. Um, one of my buddies, you know, his his addiction with pills was more benzodiazepine, which is okay. uh, like Xanax, Klodipin, okay. uh Valium, you know, different things like that. He really liked the downers. Okay. Um painkillers affect people differently for some people they give you like almost like a speed buzz mm -hmm. um to where it's a different kind of high it's like a stimulant um and 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 for other people they just either make you sick or they, they kind of put you down and you just kind of lay on the couch for hours but for some people that that get that high off of them that's that's what you're constantly chasing and i i mean i thank god all the time i wasn't around the needles like Okay. The the needles yeah. were probably in this area anyway, we're probably five to eight years behind me being that 20 to 25 age. Mm -hmm. And so I missed it. And I missed some of this other stuff too, this crazy shit, this bath salts and uh oh my God, you know, yeah. I don't I don't even know what that is. You know right. what I mean? I don't know the chemical makeup of bath salts. I don't know what that is. And then there's other stuff on the streets now. And the fentanyl, I couldn't imagine. I mean, I know there's a kid that, that Addie and I went to high school with that was in the, our neighborhood mm -hmm. that died just yeah. a couple of years ago. I remember that when that happened. And I yeah. think she died from just handling it. Mm -hmm. Like it was that strong and, and yeah. you know, it is terrible. And so I'm so thankful that I never, I never tried a needle. I was never even really offered them. Like I remember me and one of my buddies, and this is downtown Parkersburg, probably you know, late nineties, early two thousands. And so we're in a bar and we're trying to peddle some cocaine to some people, but, and, and then this dude that I sort of know, but more just like an acquaintance kind of says, yes. And so we go to the car to do a deal and we're, he's in the back seat and me and my buddy are up front. Me and my buddy are cool. We've known each other for a long time. This guy in the back starts asking for a rig. He said, you guys got a rig. Yeah. You know, you, a rig and me and my dude are clueless clueless what what are you talking about a rig bro i don't know what you need i don't know what yeah. you're talking about he said i want to shoot this shit up i was like you got to get the fuck out of my car yeah you got to get out of my car bro you know what i mean and that was my reaction then and thankfully i think that's really the only time i was around anybody that tried to use a needle or shoot up thank god you know so how do you think you kept um, yourself isolated because i think the stereotype of you especially from South, you know, being from southeastern Ohio, people would say, oh, well, you know, it's an Appalachian town, of course, you know, it's, it's, 
it's going to be all the opioid stuff and it's going to be all these stereotypical things. How do you think you didn't get sucked into the, some of those stereotypes and that you got shielded from it so that it so that it was just pills? I mean, I hate to talk about it that way, but it sounds like you were, you know, again, you were spared from the the okay, from well, it going also, I mean, lethal. I have no problem telling you. Yeah, I mean, I tried all of it. I mean, I like cocaine, okay. but it's not something that I mean, you got to be kind of rich to afford a cocaine habit, you know what I mean? And so it's a social thing that's done with, you know, usually a small number of people and it's not costing every, maybe it's costing everybody 30 or 50 bucks, but it's not ever costing everybody $200 a day. You know, you can't afford a cocaine habit. When I had a pill habit, they were cheap. People would give them to you because the doctors were giving them to you. People had more pills than they knew what to do with. And then some people, older people, especially started realizing you're telling me my drugs are worth how much money? right you're telling me hold on you're telling me how much money my drugs worth well yeah i don't need them that bad you know so then you have elderly people realizing that hey i can supplement my income by the the, the doctor says i'm supposed to take three of these things today i don't even really like them i'll sell them for four dollars a piece i don't care you know just weird stuff like that going on And, and some of it engineered some of it just people turn a blind eye to they know what's going on but they just turn a blind eye to it whatever yeah yeah um you know there was a time where like ecstasy was big around here um and i enjoyed that for a time period but same thing i mean would would we you know it's not every weekend they don't fall out of the sky they're hard to get it's shady to get you might get robbed you might have money stolen from you i've been robbed plenty of times i've i've handed people hundreds of dollars and sent them into a house and they they went out the back door with my money see ya Mm -hmm. you know i've i've sent here here's some money i'm going up the street to get these i'll be right back never see them again Mm -hmm. you know and i've seen that happen to people I've, i've had it happen to me and was um, this all throughout your 20s? So we're like still in your 20s here. This was oh, like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Man. Okay. I mean, okay. From, yeah, from pretty much, you know, and I mean, I know my trigger. My trigger was absolutely the situation with my oldest son and his mother. Um, you know, once once she got remarried in, in probably like 98 or 99, when my son was still just one or two years old, you know, I developed a lot of, I don't give a fuck. And fuck this. Okay and fuck that you know and in this court system i live just a few blocks from the courthouse you know they're the ones that determined it was every other weekend and 35 percent of your paycheck and you know it's that and that's developed. when you were tw- and that was when you were about 20 right yeah yeah 20 years old yeah for okay. sure and so that was so before think- so yeah so the the breakup but she gets remarried and then um then you have the surgery or the uh the broken ankle with the fight around or yeah, you know the night of the fight in 02 or 03 so mm-hmm. then you spend the rest of the early 2000s kind of caught up in this drug drug scene so it went from just you know uh social alcohol gatherings with your buddies to after a couple of life events then it became something that was a a, a more a a more tentacled monster, I guess, is the image that comes to mind. So where did it start to get like out of hand? Where did, where did you know that you knew you were having issues that, that you, um, I mean, I crashed, I, I was in a hit and run one night. Okay. So, um, this is, this is like 2002, 2003. I think this is actually before I broke my ankle. So this okay. is circumstances that led to me living back in Parkersburg, West Virginia. Okay. So I was living in Beckley, West Virginia. Uh, I was at the bar with this chick. I was making pretty good money at the time. 
Um, we're drinking, doing blow and stuff. And so she's supposed to come to my apartment. We're leaving the bar. The bar is going to close. She's supposed to come down the hill to my apartment, but we're driving separate. So I had driven down the hill to my apartment. It's not that far from the bar. And I was just kind of waiting in the parking lot because I assumed like her car would be coming like pretty soon too. So it's like, I mean, it's like two or three in the morning. You know, it's at least past one thirty in the morning. I'll say that anyway. It's like half rain, half sleet. You know what I mean? And I'm hammered, but I'm high on cocaine. So I think I'm invincible, just purely invincible because even though I'm intoxicated, I'm alert, you know, and I'm buggy, you know, and I'm smoking 19 cigarettes and, and all of that shit. So even though it felt like I was in the parking lot for 10 minutes, I was probably in the parking lot for two. And so I got the broad idea. I better drive back up there. Maybe she got, you know, I better drive back up to the bar. Right. So I hop in my car and I'm flying up this hill and there's a little S turn at the top of the hill and the back end of my car breaks loose and uh, uh, like a Dodge Ram smacks like the, the driver's door. I didn't have my seatbelt on. And I mean, I was still hanging on to the steering wheel, but my ass landed in the passenger seat, like the glass shattered all into my face and shit. And there's like state trooper patrol, like just down the road and shit, oh God, like, yeah. a, like a barracks or whatever. There wasn't any cops there, but there was like a outpost thing. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I, I kind of stick my head out the window and I see this crashed vehicle that I've just ran into. And this is all totally my fault, obviously. And I'm hammered and I'm under the influence. And so. Mm -hmm. I just put the car in gear and bounce, bounce, went down the road a ways, a couple of miles, parked that bitch, you know, mm -hmm. and then I reported it stolen. And so those circumstances were obviously really bad. Um, those are one of the hard lessons that I talk about. You know, I could have gotten into a lot of trouble for that, like the insurance fraud, because I had this chick sign off that she was in bed with me. Somebody definitely stole my car oh, and wow. shit like that. Like, wow. yeah, bad. Okay. And they eventually, like, I eventually saw, like, a detective about it, like, several months later, like, after I didn't even live in that city anymore. Oh, man. You know, I had to show up and, like, see a detective about it. And he knew. You know what I mean? He <laughs> knew. It's just, you know, there wasn't a victim. Um, You know, the, the damage was to my car and the other person's car, which an insurance company hit that guy's insurance company had already paid. Oh, excuse me, that guy wasn't interested in pressing charges, you know, or anything like that. So I got really lucky in that. Okay. Extreme. But that thank you for sharing back yeah. here. Sorry, I didn't mean to talk over. I was just thanking you for sharing the story. It takes a lot of guts to just to share that shit publicly. Thank you. Oh, you're keep, welcome. Keep man. going. I mean, keep going. Other shit. Yeah. I mean, um, that's kind of on the low end, to be honest. But anyway, um, those are circumstances that, that led to me living back here. And then you know, through the course of having that broken ankle, it's not just the, wow, these Vicodin make me feel good. And then, oh, I can tell this other doctor that the Vicodin aren't quite strong enough. Will you give me Percocets? And then, oh, my nerves are kind of whacked too. So give me some Xanax, which I never took the Xanax. I just flipped them and sold them. So okay. then it becomes this, it, it doesn't, it's not just about the drugs anymore, man. It's about the lifestyle. It's about yeah your end objective from day to day. If my end objective was, all right, I'd, I'd really like to do a couple perks and smoke a couple joints and I don't have any perks or any weed when I got up. So I got to take all of my surroundings, whatever they are and my job and my friends and all these people that I know and shady acquaintances and shady places I could go. And I got to do whatever it is I got to do Yeah. before a certain amount of time, because I still got to work and make some money. 
You know, yeah. see, the ideal situation was that you woke up with your drugs. Uh, okay. Hey, I can wake up and I have my drugs and I can, I can do a line of Percocet when I get out of the bathtub or, you know, the shower. What percentage of the time was that the case? Was that about 50-50? Oh, a very 50, rare or? percentage. No, very, very rare okay. percentage. Yeah, because it's just the first few days after you get a script or the first okay. three days after payday. And then the rest of the time you're scrounging. Look, okay. you know I mean? yeah, you know. So you had a hard time. So as an as an addict with pills, it's harder to ration than maybe say, uh, or it's it's much more situationally dependent because your supply is so. Yeah, I mean, hit or miss. I think everybody was different. You know, I actually knew plenty of people that knew, motherfucker. I won't trade you. I won't sell you nothing because I have twenty eight days left before I know I can get some more, and I'm making sure that I got one for me every motherfucking morning. You can go fuck yourself. You know what I mean? I knew people like that. I knew people that would be sitting on bottles, and they'd have people or offering them double the money, and they'd tell Mm -hmm. them to go fuck off. I'm not coming off my shit until I got more shit. Once I got extra shit for me, then I'll sell you something. Okay. You know, um, and yeah, yeah. So you know, that's. So where was it in this in this whole chain of of things? Because we're talking about years here, right? This is oh man, this is till. 2000 late uh 2010-ish? i mean i would very much say from like 19 to 29 i, okay. I mean I, I, drugs yeah drugs. so mid 90s to to or to right before like 07, the 2010s yeah. yeah i mean yeah yeah even in even into 2008 and 2009 i mean that's okay. ultimately you know when i understood that i better start doing something a little bit different i mean i sold drugs to an undercover cop on the same day that i crashed my car into a house okay. you know what i mean so you know, I didn't know at the time that he was an undercover cop, and I certainly didn't know that I was going to proceed down the road after I sold him drugs and crashed my car into a house because I passed out because I was partying the whole night before. And wow. I, I, I was doing blow and cocaine, but then I stopped at my buddy's house, and he gave me a Xanax, and then I thought I could drive home. No, no, you passed out, and you crashed your car into a house. That's what the fuck you did. And, oh, by the way, a little bit ago, you happened to sell those drugs to an undercover cop. So on the same day. Yeah. So when you do those two things, that's a bad day. day. That's well, and it's you know, if someone's gonna give you a sign, you know. So that was so that was kind of like the wake up call. Was the when it was boom, 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 all on the same day. It wasn't just the hit and run. It was like holy shit, sold it to the undercover cop, and I which which that revelation doesn't come until they indict you. You know what I mean? So I'm actually in the jail doing the doing some time for wrecking the car when they come and indict me on the selling the drugs charge wow so you got the one two punch right and and you get to and you get to reflect on that while you're still in jail it's not like you're a free person you don't get to go talk to your buddies or go Mm -hmm. smoke a doobie or have a drink or whatever you get to sit in jail and think about what the fuck you did were you in a lot of withdrawal at that time like when Uh, you were there or no i mean you know it's weird man you the know. reason i ask that is because you know one of the um uh just this week uh, ashley hassan who was my episode number two guest she invited me onto her show she does a show called sober girl podcast and if i'm not mixing her story up with someone else's she talks about how um her going to jail it took her going to jail like two or three times before she's like you think going to jail the first time would be the wake-up call or losing my license or whatever she's like no it took it until um, you know, it had really progressed. And she said, there are some people that'll say to her or that told her early in her sobriety, like, well, of course you got sober. That doesn't count because you had to get sober because you were in jail. I, again, yeah. I don't mean to make that. No, that story. Is, it just reminded hey, me of her story. No, that's, that's, uh, I, I, I gave a very similar analogy with the cigarettes. Okay. 
Okay. Okay. And and that's that's one of my greatest accomplishments, bro. I mean, I can't. You know, I probably started smoking cigarettes sometime in like 1995. Okay. You know what I mean? Just I know smokeless tobacco, a little bit of snuff or chewing tobacco here and there, and cigarettes. You know. And that's when you and were in I like high school, right? Oh yeah, and yeah. And I wasn't yeah. a daily smoker because I had to hide the shit, you know, from mom and dad and all of that crap. But I definitely. Yeah. You know, a full-time cigarette smoker since 1998 for sure, okay? okay? And daily, daily cigarette smoke, multiple mm-hmm. cigarettes a day. At the height of cigarettes and cocaine and drug use, I'm sure I probably smoked 10 packs a week. At the very least, I probably smoked five packs a week. And it's so weird, man. And you've been able to kick that habit. Yeah, recently. yeah, but I, I uh, yeah, going back to what... um what you were talking about when mm-hmm. you go to jail you ain't got no fucking choice yeah, <laughs> you know yeah. what, I mean? what are you gonna do you, there's no cigarettes in jail so at least there's that at least you've got that as like an initial like not that not that you, you want to go to jail but the, at least there's some sort of silver lining to it then is that i mean well no like, i guess that's not what i mean i guess is is it's more like you're not quitting anything. You're not okay. sober. Okay. You're in, you didn't. The moment okay. that you walk out that motherfucker, you're gonna light a cigarette. You know okay. it. Everybody around you knows okay. it. All your friends know it. You know what I mean? And okay. you know, some of that is the, the time that you do. You know, if you sit there for ten days, yeah, you're gonna go smoke a cigarette. You know, if you stay in a facility for six or eight months and that entire time you don't have alcohol, tobacco, anything like that, then I think there's a very good chance that you don't smoke a cigarette when you come out. I kick myself in the ass all the time because I did like I did like a 30 day thing uh, sometime. I don't know, like oh four or oh five for some DUIs and stuff. Um, And, you know, I just when I went in and turned myself in or checked in to get booked or whatever, I had like three cigarettes in my jacket. So when I got out, those were in my jacket. Mm. And so, like, I was just like, all right, fuck it, I'm smoking yeah. this shit. And, and just didn't have, I was probably, you know, 25, 26 years old yeah. and just didn't have the perspective of, Trav, you're going to smoke those for another 14 years, motherfucker. Yeah. You stupid motherfucker. How much money are you going to waste? You know what I mean? And so, you know, just for a variety of reasons, you know, seeing our Uncle Eric die. I mean, I yeah. know that he smoked cigarettes when he was a teenager and smoked it's, all the cigarettes way killed my dad in 1999. Yeah. And he went and that's why when when your uncle Eric died, it really hit me because he was like similar age to my dad when he died. So it was like, God, I feel like I'm, uh, he was such a good dude. Oh, Eric, Eric was born on the same day that I was. Oh, really? I did not know that. All right. And okay. so like 1966 or something, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? And so there was that weird like eerie like you might be that same motherfucker if you don't drop them bitches yeah you know what i mean you better put them down and then oddly enough like inflation is like well one way and and you know how employers can be but there's not always trickle down and so a way to increase my income was also to quit smoking cigarettes i mean you're talking at least 50 bucks a week if not a little bit more here and there so a variety of those things and and you know that was that was really hard to overcome i still struggle with it to an extent i mean i don't always have an urge to go have a cigarette but man i I just don't i know that i'm not as like a joyous person like maybe joyous isn't the right i'm just not as chatty talkative 
I'm, I'm, I'm more reclused, you know, I'm like, like even my best friends, I mean, I talk to them and I talk in the chat, but I'm not as chatty as I was like, you know, you mean since quitting, since quitting smoking, yeah. since quitting cigarettes. Yeah. I don't, I don't initiate conversation. I'll, I'll have the back and forth if somebody reaches out to me, but I typically don't reach out to them or, or engage them first. And see, this is really interesting in relation to the alcohol, because again, I don't mean to like always steer it back no, to the no, alcohol. I just no, like, I'm thinking about that with my cool, own, man. with my own issues. I mean, obviously with the podcast being about that and I just, I'm curious about, or that, that just piqued my interest. Well, you mentioned withdrawals. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry to cut you off. No, no, no go ahead. Go keep going. That's definitely one thing about jail. Um, I know a lot of people that it's embarrassing to admit, but after a couple of days, you'll probably piss your pants while you're in your sleep, just because you, your body is chemically, re you're cleansing, your body is cleansing itself. Yeah. You don't have any control over it. You know, I mean, it, it definitely happened to me. And then the vivid dreams you talked about, uh, you guys talked about the vivid dreams when you become sober mm -hmm. from drugs and alcohol, whatever, cigarettes, whatever. Your your mind's gonna clear up in a in a in a way that might fuck with you a little bit. You might yeah. you might see and have some thoughts and and that are pretty dark, pretty dark, and you don't know what to make of them. And you know you you can feel a sense of guilt because you're not in control of your thoughts. So then your dark thoughts you you start to have guilt about. But it really is just the body cleansing itself. You know the the brain has had however long somebody's been alcoholic pills whatever the brain is repairing itself and and it just like your other organs would your liver or whatever and it's you know isn't it great news that that somebody who has uh that the history that you've described and again i say this with zero judgment i'm just saying like you got a lot of stuff that you've talked about a lot of substances and a lot of consequences from that but here you are in your early 40s. I think you maybe you're mid 40s. I don't know. We're getting old. You're a couple We're years old. Age, whatever. whatever. We don't it's need to good. tell people our ages. It'll be all right. It's all good. We're, we're, we're having midlife crisis. But like, but, you know, with alcohol, one of the things that we're learning in this app that um, my my Instagram homies and I use it or the most of the people that I've met on Instagram that I started a few chat rooms and we talk about dreams and we talk about all kinds of stuff that comes up, but we're learning about neuroplasticity. And the good news is that the damage that's been done and in my daily lessons on the app and stuff, it talks about like the brain can recover. And that's the good, if you give it time, but you got to give it time to like unwind itself from years and years. And in some cases, decades of training a certain way. And it doesn't even have to be with, um, with substances. It, it can be just with ways of thinking and, you know, it, it, so I guess I just said all that to say, like, I, I'm so grateful to you for sharing your story because here you are, um, after, you know, some serious addiction, addiction issues to serious drugs and then more socially acceptable drugs, you, you know, ones that still kill people that we love and could have killed us. And here you are, uh, clean and sober and cigarette free and, you know, like living a, a better a better life for your kids and for yourself and you know you're working on that costa rican uh you know retirement right, plan baby. and everything That's else right, man. well i mean <laughs> you know i've seen you know it's it's crazy you know you you know how the internet was for us or at least you know for for my generation anyway when you left high school you kind of didn't see those people until facebook came along right 
about you 10 years later. None of them. Yeah. You right. didn't see none of them. I mean, right. you, you had a couple of friends or a couple of people that you kept in touch with, and that was it. Yep. And then to see people that had just drank for 10 years. And to see what they look like compared to, and they look like they were twenty or thirty years older, probably right. right? And especially with the drugs too. Right. I know having seen that from working downtown here, well, and the meth, Columbus that like, right. it, when yeah, you and see the meth especially. without their teeth, that's yeah. meth. Yeah. Um, when you see people with swollen lips or their lips are burned or things like that, that's usually crack, um, because the pipe gets hot and they don't know it because they're numb to it, but mm-hmm. it's burning their lip and it's making their lips swollen. Um. You know, the itch and the picking and the scabs and stuff, that's all heroin, you know, because when you withdraw from heroin, that's another thing. When I was at that rehab facility, if you tested positive for a certain number of things when you came into the facility, you automatically went to this hole for 10 days because for some of them, I mean, you can't control your bowels when you're withdrawing. They are keeping you in there for the, the health hazards of being around other people it's not safe and sanitary and those types of things you're gonna sweat you're gonna shit you're gonna you know like suboxone and and the heroin and the oxys and stuff those are really really hard withdrawals to come off of um I, i you know when i talk about addiction and drugs and stuff like it's weird. Like when you stop doing cocaine, you feel better. Like within a day, within a couple of days, you stop doing cocaine. You, you feel better. You stop doing pills. You feel like shit. Mm. You stop doing pills. If you've gone, if you've had pills for 10 days in a row, the last thing on earth you want is 48 hours without a pill. Mm. You're going to fucking feel like shit. Your mind's going to be fucked. Your body's going to be fucked. And it gets, it doesn't get any better until it's gone. And it's not like you're going to be a great person to be around at work or with your family or your friends or anybody else, no, no, right? No, no, no. So right. it's going to wreck your relationships. And, and <laughs> well, and that's and, when people get the most desperate. If mm-hmm. you know, if you're addicted to those things, whether it's the meth, the heroin, crack pills, whatever, and you know, it starts to get to all right. It's like the end of day too. How the fuck am I going to get high tomorrow? Because if I don't get high tomorrow, I'm going to be really, really sick. I might be laying in a bathtub sweating. I might die from these withdrawals. I'm at least going to have to find somebody that has some, what used to be methadone is now suboxone. So you, you think about your friends that go to the clinic that you haven't decided to go to the clinic yet. You still use, man, I'm glad I never lived that life. You know, the pills, I mean, yeah, don't get me wrong. You don't want to go without, but it's not the same. It's not like you're going to, you know, be laying in your bathtub. You know what I mean? You're going to be mad. You're going to feel like shit. You're going to be irritable and stuff, but you're not going to die and you're not going to be laying in your bathtub. If you're doing heroin and, and meth and stuff like that, yeah, you don't, you know, it's a bad time. It's a really bad time. So let me ask you this again. I mean, Sorry, you can to, ask me like, anything you steer want, it back dude. to I'm the not... alcohol, but I'm so curious. And you can say no to this, but how much do you think the um, because I, I mean this totally sounds like I've set this up so that you'll be like, yeah, of course it is. No, I'm curious just to hear your honest opinion about how much do you think the socially acceptable cigarettes and alcohol in teenage years or for some people earlier are introduced at home or that you know they have parents that are um over drinking or whatever, or they've had access from the time that they're little. But for most of, I, I think commonly in our generation anyway, it was probably about like right around adolescence, around 12, 13, 14 is probably the first time that you have a drink or you sneak a smoke or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah, 14, 15, you, yeah. What do you think, it, it, do you think that those 
that without those things, it would have been less likely that you ended up in the pills? Again, I don't mean to load this so that you have to say yes. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on the social acceptability and the gateway aspect of it um, when it comes to the cigarettes and the alcohol, the legal drugs that you can still get access to relatively easy when you're underage. I mean, I bought my own cigarettes at the BBC. Right, right. I mean, I look, at, I mean, shit. right. There was a drive through on 339 that me and my cousin Luke rode our horses through and bought oh, beer gosh. on. I mean, like on horseback. Look, we're like 16 and 14. <laughs> 16 and 14. These it. old people that owned that store didn't give a shit if you had an ID. They just needed somebody to buy their beer. That's yeah. all they needed. Gave a fuck. Didn't care. It's 1993. You know. I will never it. forget that story as long as I live. You know, Luke on horses buying yep, beer. Just <laughs> ride through the drive-through, selling some beer. You know what That's I mean? Awesome. And then, you know, and even being 16 driving around, it wasn't that hard to get somebody to sell you some yeah. beer. You know what I mean? Yeah, you just find um, somebody. And I mean, it was the, you know, I, I went to school with a lot of rich kids. And, uh, you know, I was like kind of your token working I'm working really income just, kid there and on financial aid. And I got to hang out then. I mean, my my buddy's mom be like, come on over and I'll buy right. whatever you want. It was like house yeah, party. We're all I'll gonna run, completely yeah, absolutely. But how much do you think that that kind of shit, like, set the stage for for i think okay here's stuff. what it is i think this is the best answer i can give you it's the frequency of it that led to the other things i think you know if you just take like my sister as an example and and you take OU, obviously there's a lot of party alcohol stuff like that going on at college <laughs> but the typical college kid probably does that while they're in college on a college campus with a bunch of kids that are their age and there's just a keg of beer and everybody goes home and maybe the worst thing that was around was some marijuana you know what yeah. i mean but that's kind of my adult, experience at, at OU. and he's talking about ohio university by the way for our listeners who aren't familiar like athens ohio it's in southeastern ohio beautiful place beautiful college town and travis and um his sister, my wife, Addie, grew up in Belprin, which is over <laughs> on the Ohio River, about 30 minutes east of Athens. And so it's just, you know, it's sort of between Columbus and, and halfway between Columbus and West Virginia and big party school. So I think that's but, a normal yeah. experience for a lot of people is just yeah. some friendly social weekend drinking while they're in college. And that's pretty normal. And it never becomes something more later in life. I think what you run into and where the problem is, is when you're somebody in a small town like Parkersburg or Marietta, or wherever, even here in McConnellsville, and it's not a college town, and there's not a bunch of stuff to do, and maybe some of the guys at the bar that you're drinking with are actually 35, okay. and they know where to find cocaine, or they know where to find a pill, and so it's the frequency. It's not, you know, if you were there one night, it's not that that's you're going to turn into that it's the frequency of being and putting yourself in those situations but it's also the boredom you brought up at the beginning right frequency and bo why boredom are you there? why are you at the bar you didn't yeah. have anything to do so you went to the bar or you're okay. looking for something you're looking to socialize there's something and you don't have this perspective when you're 22 to realize that you know this seeking that you're doing is actually kind of a waste of time and you would be a better off like kind of looking inward for this stuff that you're looking outward for and all of these things you don't have that perspective at 22 you think hey my buddy's going to the bar i'm gonna go to the bar too fuck it yeah there'll be some bitches there because yeah. that's what Get everybody drunk. does right right yeah we're all chasing tail right yep. and so but you're in there and it's late at night and it's 1 30 in the morning and you look a little hammered and this other guy at the bar's like hey man you ever tried this before you know, or different things like that. Mm -hmm. And for me, I mean, yeah, man, 
I mean, that's what sent me down the path was yep. like it, because I tell people you should never give somebody their first line of cocaine ever, ever, ever. Like I made sure that I never did that to anybody because I know what happened to me the first time that somebody gave me a line of cocaine. I wanted more motherfucking cocaine. I wanted to know where I could get it. I wanted to know how often I could do it. I wanted to know if anybody else wanted to buy it so I could make some for myself for free. I wanted to do co motherfucking cane. I tell you, man, to this day, I'm thankful that the first time I, it was a cast party in high school. We, I was like sophomore year and I'm in there with juniors and seniors in one of the rich kids houses and they're upstairs. I'd never seen a bong. I didn't even know what the fuck a bong was and like, you know, huge water bong. And I'm like, they're like, Hey man. But before we even got to the bong in the bathroom where they're like passing a bowl around and I'm like, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. And they pass it around to me. I'm like, like why not? I'm just trying to, you know, fit in. And, and I was kind of like your goody two-shoes. They were like, oh my God, Dana's going to do a bowl. He's going to take it off the bowl. Well, it turns out it was, it was they're like, oh no, it's cash. It's cash. Like, I don't know what this shit means. I'm like, they're just putting it in me and they're like, all right, do this. And and apparently it had opium in it, but, but it was like gone. Thank God by the time it got around to me. So I thought I was going to be smoking weed. It turns out that was fucking him that yeah. i that i could have you know had go into me and who knows what that could have done to me as a 15 year old kid and i'm like i i mean it could have changed the the direction of my life a anyway that was my only experience with i mean i only smoked weed a few times because i after that first experience with it because i did go take hits off the, off the water bug later like and, and i was like oh this is so cool and i was so chill but like i had a couple of bad experiences later on with weed and i'm i'm grateful for that too because it made me like not want to do it. Plus with the army, I mean, I just fell in love with the army and the army was, and I think still is pretty hard about marijuana. So I feel oh, like yeah, I was just sure. lucky in my experiences that I, I only had kind of those like uh, relatively safe exposures with friends that weren't going to, uh, that, that they had too much at stake to let it get out of hand themselves. So I, I feel like I got lucky to, for not, for the, the alcohol cigarette stuff that I was doing to not gateway into other things later anyway i hijacked that keep it's going okay, on man. what you were talking about it's all right buddy um <laughs> you know i want you to share too because i know like like you've talked about you know and and like you just talked about right there you know if you just think about your career path the military is totally cool with alcohol always oh my god it's like the social you know, they, elixir. Right, i mean it, it absolutely right. depends especially on the it. sailors i mean they they want no. you to go offshore and have some drinks they want you to do that on the weekends no. you know they understand you've been on the boat sub whatever go get shit faced um you can't even imagine the navy i mean i know what it was like to be right, right. in the I've army and not see a woman story, forever right. or for months and months but like oh my god being on the boat and coming back and what your right. dad and you know or porting like, it yeah porting oh god in, like off other countries and things like the temptations must right. have been there right exactly exactly Good grief. and so but again your dad probably your dad was probably like hey this is right, a right. place i'm, I'm gonna go i'm boat. gonna go check it out yeah, I'll be, I'll see you guys. if you guys need somebody to pick you up later i'll yeah. come get you, you know? he was the dd uh, absolutely right he was the dd for sure um you know and i think like like you've talked about you know the the drugs and the alcohol and the party and the girls and stuff and then also kind of not having i i think you know I, again idle hands are the devil's playground if you don't have some type of just it's not just tomorrow but like okay what's my life going to be like next year you know, what do I want my life to be like three years from now? What kind of steps can I take today to make my life better a few years from now? If you're someone that, that feels like, or at the time, you know, you felt like it was going to be impossible to get ahead. You were always going to be living paycheck to paycheck. And at the end of the day, you just kind of wanted to just 
enjoy life a little bit. You know what I mean? And, and, you know, if you sit and you dwell on, man, my life sucks. I think, you know, this bullshit job, I mean, you know, I'm going to be broke on Thursday. I don't get paid until Saturday, you know, just whatever. Fuck it. Yeah. Let's go to the bar, man. My buddy said he'd buy us some drinks. My buddy will pick us up and he's got some weed. We can stop by this chick's house and smoke. She's probably got some pills. She'll share with us, whatever. You know what I mean? That social network of other people that felt the same way as you, that was a big part of it too. You know, these are, these are people that you consider to be your friends. You're all kind of, if, if you were to stay separated and, and stay in your own environment apart from one another, you would all be sitting there depressed and mad and bummed out. And so if collectively you can raise each other's spirits, why not? Yeah. You know, even if it does involve some illegal activities or substances or what have you. And so all of those things just have a lot of not give a fuck in them. And so you, you know, no matter who you are and and no matter the things or vices that you might struggle with, you got to find a reason to say no to those vices. And and that can be really tough, man. It's not easy. I mean, people get addicted to gambling. People get addicted to coffee. I I know people that if you took away their coffee, I mean, I think that I was a dick when you took it, when I tried to quit smoking cigarettes, if you took away some people's coffee. You could start think, a war. You could start a yeah. war in this country. You shut down start. Yeah. Oh no. Oh God. That what would be. Yeah. That would be. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's people. That, that would be pretty people. catastrophic. Yeah, man. And, <laughs> you know, and yeah, and like I guess so. The takeaways that that I'm thinking from our conversation, you you open with the board. You know, the comments about boredom, and then you talked about you know, just being in that, in those younger years and looking for, uh, some community, some connections, some sense of purpose, especially if you're unemployed. I mean, when, you know, you and I were, uh, coming into the, the workforce as young adults, like, I guess, you know, you're a couple years older than me, but like, um, 2002, when I left OU and thank God I had a job in the army because I mean, the dot-com bubble at Burson, like it was hard for people to, to find work. And then, you know, when Addie graduated in 04 and we got married the next weekend, I mean, she moved right down to Fort Campbell with me. And so she basically went straight into the army and, um, you know, so we had community there. And um, I mean, I didn't drink in my first few years in the army, but there was the, anyway, I don't want to go down the religious track because that was a big part of our story. My point in all that was just to say, like, when you're a young person, you're looking, I had this something to like drive towards to it was like uh not that i'm better it's just that like i i left high school and i had this college that i was the first one in my family to go to college so i felt all this pressure to like you know especially after my dad died who would you know work for 26 years at the shit plant to provide for me to go to college and so i was able to go and i was like i better not fuck this up and then i you know i get commissioned and i go to the army and so i had kind of something to focus all my crazy natural energy. And then, you know, I met your sister in college and thank God I did because she's totally the end of my yang and she's a phenomenal woman and she balances me out and she's put up with all my bullshit for over 20 years and um, has, has been a brilliant mother to our sons. But even then, even under the best of circumstances, the college prep education, you know, the scholarship to OU, the going into the army as a commissioned officer and um, having a, 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 tr- a you know, a, a, a traditionally religious type of, you know, um, 
experience as a young couple where we're going to church and I'm not drinking and it's not because I think it's evil. It's just like, it's just not part of my life. But even then, you know, I still went down this road into addiction. So it can happen to all of us, whether we have community or not. But I think it's especially cute what you've talked about. Uh, I'm just trying to compare it, just contrast our experiences, but say, look how we're the same because we both needed what you talked about, which is community. And if you're growing up in a place where you just want um, somebody that feels the same way that you do, yeah, whether you're in a small town or a you big just want city. somebody that you can sit there with and whether it's and 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 thankfully now for like you like you're doing the show and everything it's it's a sober conversation you and i yeah you know but certainly the the late nights that i had with my friends the people that are still my friends today mm-hmm. it, it's from those late night conversations where we're high stone drunk out of our minds but you know what we're there together if we were by ourselves, we might be thinking really bad thoughts or getting into other kind of trouble or just whatever and and forming those bonds. And you just wanted somebody to just kind of say, yeah, man, I feel you. Yeah, I feel the way you do, you know, and like with whether it's alcoholism or drugs or, or any of it, like the sobriety and then and then the boredom of a brain and a lot of knowledge just leads to suffering. The more you are acutely aware of, of your own, you know mortality and the mortality of others and how brief our existence is and all of these things you know it can freak a motherfucker out you sit and dwell on it too long you know what i mean um who is it it's i i want to say it's kirkgaard no it's not kirkgaard god damn it um don't think of it just quote it and we'll figure out who it is um if you stare into the darkness long enough it'll stare back at you it's uh it's nietzsche anyway okay yeah that would be um and and yeah man you know the number of times that you know whether it's myself or friends that i've known that have talked about just kind of you know being alone with their thoughts for hours at a time i mean like solitary confinement's a place like i I did something stupid one time i talked shit like i was at that rehab facility so this is like i don't know 2009 or 2010 right and i'm at this rehab facility and this dude that's serving food behind the counter has motherfucking MRSA, and they're letting him serve food. Oh, my and God. So I made a comment about it in the wow. food line, and the fucking, like, director of this rehab facility snatches me up and takes me to the hole for 48 hours. So you're just in this solitary fucking hole. You know, it's, it's, it's like an eight by eight that you're in by yourself. They're bringing the food through the fucking door. You don't get to talk to nobody. They didn't give you none of your books. Like, I was like, man, can I get something to fucking read while I'm in here? No, shut up. You know what I mean? Like, so it's crazy, man. And you do like, 48 hours with your thoughts and nothing else. I dare you. I dare right, anybody. Right. You know what I mean? I, I dare anybody to do that. I, yeah, I'm very thankful that like dark. one of the trainings I never went to in the army was seer school where you get like put in a box and you're, you're in a box like this for however long. And then you're, I mean, I, I don't know how my friends who did that did it. I, I just, my, my hat's off to them. And you know, how are you, how are you going to do deal with those things? And then you're in a rehab facility and you're supposed to come out of that and be okay. Right. And not right. use any substances yeah. because that's yeah. not going to screw you up. Right. I mean, right. it's crazy. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, I I try to I, I'm very open about talking about all of the dumb shit that I've done. I've I've 
I got pulled over one night on Grand Central Avenue with seven people in a little fucking like two door car I was driving because we were all coming home from the strip club and nobody else wanted to drive. And I was like, fuck it, I got us, let's go. You know what I mean? And of course, I'm the one out of all of those seven people that paid the price for that. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that reflection when you're in jail or when you're in a rehab facility and you know i i I can remember telling the rehab girl like the rehab girl wasn't going to do anything for me she was a straight edge she had never partied she had never done cocaine she wouldn't know she was she couldn't understand like Mm -hmm. i flat out told her look there's a future me that's going to do cocaine with my friends again but you know what the difference is i'm not going to wake up on monday and think how can i get some cocaine again no i'm going to go back to work like a normal fucking person you know what I mean? Like there, that's the difference. It's a, it's a decision-making thing. Like that, that's really what it was for me was just, are you, are you going to just keep doing dumb shit or are you going to just not do something stupid today? How about you try to, how about you just make that your goal for, for each one day at a time, not to do anything stupid today, yeah. <laughs> you know? And that's really how it was, man. Um, Let me ask you this because we're family, because what is the, and we've talked about how wonderful your parents are and how wonderful your sister is. Uh, I mean, I mean, I just, I, again, I'm so lucky that I tricked this woman into marrying me uh, and that I got to, to be a part of your family. What role did your family play in supporting you through that? uh, And, and what difference did that make? Uh, because we were so we were always oh, off in man. the army so we always we always knew about this stuff just kind of like from a distance we knew stuff was going on but we didn't know all the details well, or at least i didn't know all the details what and the reason i ask you that is because i in case there are listeners that have a family member who is struggling with addiction like w- what are some things that your folks or or other people that i'm not aware of family friends did for you to help support you through that time even when you were fucking up left and right how did you yeah, how do you man. think you made it through that well i will tell you that is definitely how people how people end up at the very bottom is they've burned through all of the people that would have given them given any shits about them mm-hmm. you know whether it's okay you let me you know thanks you let me sleep on your couch for a week but you know behind your back i was fucking your wife yeah. or hey thanks man you know i'll let you you know i appreciate you let me borrow that 20 bucks i know i said i'd give it back to you you ain't never gonna see that 20 bucks. you know so um there is you know i can't i mean the odds that i would still be here and be the person that i am without my parents i would say pretty much you know zero um yeah um because I think that's what it is. I think a lot of people, when they get out, you know, whether, you know, if they get out of a rehab facility or if they get out of a jail or a prison, if they don't have a place to go, you know, I don't know what they're supposed to do. You know, halfway houses are not what they're meant to be. You know, they're just not. They're, they're usually some type of slumlord getting a check from the government to put a few dudes in a in a house like mine that's got three or four bedrooms and each room's costing you know it's costing that individual 50 bucks a week or something but the, the guy that owns it's getting 300 a month from the government so you know it's 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 dirty and it's shady and it's slimy and and you know it, it seems like people that have to go to those places 
just end up back in jail or back in some type of rehab facility or whatever. And so, yeah, man, if, if I didn't have my parents and they didn't have the type of life that they do, you know, and, and, and all of us being as blessed and fortunate as we've been. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, man. I mean, we're probably not sitting here having this conversation. So what would you say on the other hand to people who are out there who might be listening and they're, and they're struggling with an addiction of some kind. I mean, it could be cigarettes. It could be alcohol. It could be gambling. It could be anything. It could be pills or cocaine or any of the things that you've talked about. What would you say to the person who is struggling with addiction, who feels like they don't have anyone? What's something that you would recommend that they could do to, to try to do that one that let's just do one day or one, you know, let's try to take one step that, that doesn't make it worse. What would you say to those folks? I think in initial parts of sobriety as weird and as hard as it is, it kind of is isolation. Um, nowadays, the phone is the fucking devil. That cell phone's the devil. If you have a cell phone and you're trying to detach and get sober and, you know, clean up from whatever it is, like you said, whether it's gambling or alcohol or, or drugs or whatever, you, you probably need to shut that cell phone the fuck off for like a week or maybe longer. That would be my first advice to anybody. Okay. Because there's something on there that's poison. You know, for most people, you can screw with them. Take their phone from them for an hour. Take it for two hours. Take it for three hours. How long do they go before they're like, hey, man, you know, I'm telling you, you know, come on, you know, where's my phone? You know what I mean? Yeah. And so even that, I think that's a great way to challenge yourself without doing any harm to your body. Okay. You know, put your phone away. Turn it off. Set it on the other side of the room. Give it to somebody else. Give it, I mean, if you have a neighbor even, like a neighbor's typically pretty harmless. You might not be their friend. Like, you know, because I, I understand that a lot of people that struggle – are, are living in some type of an apartment complex and they, they might have somebody right beside them, right below them, whatever. Say, Hey, look, man, just keep my phone for a few hours for me. All right. I'm, I'm going to be upstairs. I, I, I don't want you to worry about me. I'm, I'm okay. But I just want you to take my phone from me for a few hours. I'm afraid I'll sit there and look at it. There'll be a trigger. Something will trigger me or, mm-hmm. or, or somebody will hit me up. That's another thing too. Uh, okay. If, if you've had friends that you've socially used with and they're still using you can't be friends with them. Yeah. You can't. It sucks, but you can't. You have to detach because they you'll you'll get sucked right back in. This is probably the most common thing I hear in the in the Zoom chats and stuff that I, on the daily check-in calls. I mean, there are like AA meetings on on my app that where I've met so many people in the Instagram sober community and and one of the most common things people say is like how am I going to tell my circle of friends that I've drank with for years? Uh, you know, I'm not drinking there. There's all this anxiety that goes around just even sharing that you're not going to do it anymore because it's so countercultural to not drink. People think you've either gone like into religious nutsville oh. or you're, you know, or, or whatever, or, or you're going to judge them because they're still drinking. And that's not what they're doing. They're just like, I'm fucking up my body right, and my right, life. I want to yeah, stop. They're having a realization or an epiphany of their own. And I mean, it's funny that you say that, but yeah, it's the same way with somebody that doesn't smoke weed. You come into a house and people or smoking weed and it gets past to you and you don't hit it motherfuckers think you're a cop immediately okay, yeah. why didn't you hit that shit motherfucker yeah. <laughs> what's wrong with you you know yeah. and so that's that's a way that i think i think even then i think that's a way some kids get scared into it you're you're, you're with some friends but one of those friends knew this other guy yeah and this other guy's decided that hey i know this other guy so we're gonna go to his house then you get to that guy's house and things are just a little bit shady mm-hmm. and you know, you're at a bad place and you know, you're at the wrong house, but 
what do you want to do? You want to you want to be the one that looks like a bitch, or maybe you know people wonder well, what the fuck's wrong with that kid? He just sketched out. He just fucking left. What the fuck's up with that weirdo? You know, just so then you end up staying. Yeah. You end up trying something or you know whatever. You know, I think that. Yeah, I didn't go to that cast party my sophomore year in high school saying, "Man, I want to smoke weed tonight." Or whatever. It was just like, "Holy shit, they're smoking weed!" Oh my god! And then it was like, "Oh, why not?" I'm 15. What the fuck? You know, like, yeah. So it's so the the and and by the way, when you were talking about if maybe the person who's struggling that needs to that wants to try that with like, let's go without my phone for an hour or two or three or whatever, just to start with a baby step. There are things on Amazon. I think that you can buy like time lock things that you can mm-hmm. put it in a little yep, safe. You and sure can. Like you yep. can't get it. Right. You can um, set the so, timer yourself and you can't get it until the timer goes off. And I mean, I think, you know, I, I guess I just tested myself that way with cigarettes too, to an extent, like, okay, like, I knew that Facebook was poison. You and I have talked about this. Some of that social media stuff is just absolute poison. And so I would actually got to a point where I would just delete that app because I knew I needed my phone for, you know, whether it was work or just other things. And, and I, I wasn't actually going to leave my phone on the other side of the room. But the things that kept bringing me back to my phone that I would check or that I would pull up to look at, I yeah. deleted those apps. I would even – I was crazy enough. I would delete the apps in the morning. I would delete mm. them every morning, but then I would download them again at late at night and check them. But even that was a step in the right direction. Okay. That wasn't spending a day where every 15, 20 minutes, I was like, oh, I'm going to check my phone and check my notifications. And, oh, somebody said this. And, oh, I'll comment on that. And, no, put it the fuck down. Put it the fuck down. Leave it, you know, get rid of it. And and that's and, and as you're saying do. that, I'm going, yeah, because every, you know, I've said on almost every episode, I, think, oh, I despise social media. But I'm also talking about all my Instagram friends. So, like, yeah, I'm walking into Walmart this afternoon. I'm like, oh, just check my Instagram real quick to see how that reel did this from this morning. Right. And it's, it's like, weird. here I am going back into it. And it's all, I mean, it's for a good, a good, a good intentions, but God, it can, you know, so it's I'm weird. so glad you're saying that it's to me weird, because man. it's like, I've got to, I got to keep boundaries on this. There's... And yeah, I'm trying to increase reach so that, you know, the podcast can have some impact. And so that I feel like I'm doing something to serve other people and whatever, but like, I can't let this social media thing suck me back into a degree that like, I have to keep the good, but I got to keep some boundaries on that. Right. On right. That. So right. thank and, you and for saying that. It's a good takeaway for me. Man. I think there's for whatever reason. And I, I think there's a lot of aspects about of our, our modern day society that feel like this is, you know, technology and, and some social paradigms have, have advanced way too quickly and we just it's just going to take time for doctors and scientists and psychologists and things to catch up and really diagnose what's going on around us right now you know with the phones with the gender stuff with 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 all kinds of stuff for you know people I mean? to process that much change i mean i mean in one generation right we've been given been a toy so that we weren't ready for we really yeah. we really have we we right. weren't ready for for what this contains oh god you no. know and and it's it's a toy that's been let out and everybody has now and it didn't really come with an instruction manual and it's not just the technology but it's the exposure to to people who are different from us and that is really overwhelming for a lot of people you're talking about you know um for me it's the suffering dana yeah you can't you can't turn that on without seeing somebody that's suffering Mm -hmm. poverty sickness war well, if it bleeds, it leads, right? I mean, that's the, you know, of course they're going right. to get, you know, it's all that's clickbait, right? Right. right. Yeah. And, and there's only so much of that that the mind can take. I can't, I can't yeah. look at it anymore. You know what I mean? I just can't, you know, because, because for whatever reason, like, you know, you can end up feeling guilty because 
there's nothing wrong with with your current life and that's not that's not how it should be you know what i mean like like just because i see the suffering in the world around me and i'm acutely aware of it doesn't mean that that i should feel guilt because there's nothing currently wrong with my life you know what i mean like and and i think that's what puts that's why it's harmful to good people but then the toxic people are are kind of just having a heyday but they don't even know what they don't even mm-hmm. know how toxic they're being like they yeah. just think that this is the way that it is and it's okay to be this way and there's nothing wrong and everything will be okay and it's all harmless and yeah in the moment maybe those 2 minutes are but look at your daily patterns and look at your habits and look at how you're actually living your life step away from a minute and just like imagine if you were the person on the television and watch mm-hmm. you don't you think you're a little weird don't you think like all these pictures of yourself and and like isn't that isn't there something weird about all of that yeah, and they're finally i think i think doctors and, and scientists and psychologists and stuff are finally starting to you know there's there's dangerous things about this i think there's a good idea one of the ideas that i saw being floated is that some of these things should just be nine to five Mm. you can access facebook from 9 a.m to 5 p.m you can access instagram from 9 a.m to 5 p.m wouldn't that change things yeah man what um just just wrapping up i mean how would you uh summarize what we've talked about tonight what do you think the key takeaway that you'd like for listeners to take away about alcohol addiction or any addiction, again, you know, my uh, small core early audience is going to be more predominantly geared towards the alcohol addiction. But what would you say to anyone who's struggling with addiction, you know, take that first step. um, But like, what else just to kind of wrap it all up and and sum it all up? Okay, thanks, man. And yeah, I think, you know, I don't want to generalize. I think everybody's life's different. And everybody has arrived at these stages in life for a variety, I mean, countless reasons, right? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I mentioned trying to put down the phone, but usually people that reach for a cigarette, reach for a pill, reach for a drink, you know, it's to, it's to dull something that they're thinking about typically, mm-hmm. yep. or it's to escape something else, or they're, they're looking outward to fill the void within. And I would encourage yeah. them to just try to try to find out what causes the void and, and see if you can make that go away. Because if you can make if you can somehow make the void go away, then you might not have to look outward to find something to fill it with. And man, I know that it's really hard. I guess that would be the other thing that I would stress on anybody is like a lot of people just aren't going to understand your struggle. Yeah, They, they just true. aren't. They They're just not. aren't. If they've never experienced something like it, they just don't know what it's like. I mentioned the one rehab girl that was trying. I mean, don't get me wrong. God bless her. She's trying to do a good job. She's, she's she she thinks she's doing something good for other people, and God love her for that. But she can't relate to me because she's never she doesn't know how it feels. She doesn't know the high that my brain has gotten and why my brain wants to do it again tomorrow, mm-hmm. and why my friends are also doing it. So then we're all going to do it together. And you need people that you can talk to about it. So find people like yourself you know find people that that can relate to you know whatever it is that you're going through and just talk to them about it because usually it just takes one you know if if one person starts talking you know i'm sure it's that way at aa and stuff if if one person starts everybody else is usually a little bit more willing to speak up and talk themselves where if nobody says anything at all then everybody's really 
just doesn't want to talk and it's kind of yeah. a bad meeting or whatever. So, so you got to kind of step out of your comfort zone. You got to really take that first, that first scary step to connect with someone else, but also the scarier step, which I think I'm experiencing, which is I'm having to connect with myself. And, you know, ultimately this falls on me. I can't, I can't expect anyone to uh, recover for me. Uh, I can certainly reach out to other people who can help me and I can help them, but it, it's all going to start and end with me. Uh, and that's, to me, that's the overwhelming part about it. Even 60 some days in, I'm like, oh my God, like I've got so much work to do. Uh, you know, I've just started. But uh, the good news is if you take those first steps, if you surround yourself with some people that are trustworthy, uh, like, you've had, like you've had and still have, uh, and you're willing to be honest with yourself uh, that, that there's hope out there. I think I, I've taken some hope away from tonight just in hearing more details about, because I, I knew, you know, the rabbit hole went pretty deep, but wow, oh, I mean, what you've described, days, man. I mean, like I, I, I didn't know for days, man. all of these details. Um, and thank you so much for being willing to share all that with the world. Like, you you know, uh, this is this, who knows who this is going to reach. And we'll hope that this reaches someone who is struggling with some of the things that you've described some, if not the exact situations, but the feelings, um, the senses of the sense of like uh, being overwhelmed and like, Oh my God, I'm trapped in this or whatever, whatever it is. I hope that um, our viewers and listeners tonight have uh, gotten something from Travis. I know I have, and uh, thank you for being my, being my brother and uh, for uh loving me unconditionally. And really, I'm so glad we've been able to connect in these last couple of years in a different way than we ever did before, because I've learned a lot from you. I learned even more tonight. And uh, thanks again. You got the last word while you're saying, All right, I'm well, grab thank out. you so much, dude. And, and you're very welcome. And I love you too. And, um, you know, in a lot of ways, I feel like our relationship's just getting started, you know, now that we're at this uh, different stage in life and, you know, we're, we're kind of moving forward and I love the owl and I hope to have yeah, some man, owl this is someone. Yeah. So last um, night, last time Al went all South Park and he closed out the show by saying, don't, don't drink booze. Booze is bad. Okay. So this time <laughs> he's just going to sign off with the, uh, the classic thing, which I forgot to do my, my sign off line, which is we'll say not only goodbye alcohol, and hello life uh i don't know i don't know what kind of noise he makes or whatever he's like goodbye alcohol and hello life goodbye pills and yeah. goodbye and hello yeah and hello hello the rest of our life however much right. we got left hey we're in our 40s whether you're listening to this in your teens 20s or your 80s like we got some living left to do so find yourself a spirit animal like al here that's al k Hallfrey says have a great night and thanks again to my guest, Travis Church out, out in McCollinsville, Ohio. We're going to need to get together. We need to have you over here so we can play golf uh, like we tried to do last For summer. Sure. It got messed up. So we're going to play some golf sure. and we're going to have some fun. I love you, man. I love you too, buddy. Take care. Right, we'll talk to you soon. Night. All you right. Too, take bud. care. Bye. Bye.